in, like I said, we're Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. These are Paul's words. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, but I am already, or, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15. Those of us who are mature think this way. If any of you think otherwise, God will reveal to you that is also. Only let us hold true to that which we have attained. This is God's word. I find it fascinating the journey that we are all on at, in, in terms of faith. When we come to faith in Christ as young people or old people or however it were, there's this zeal that springs up and you find yourself identifying with, with Paul in a sense saying, everything is lost and it's all awful and trash and terrible. And, and, uh, and then as you mellow in age, you're like, I don't know, I like some of this stuff. And I, I like some of my accolades and how does that work in the life of faith? You find yourself, at least I have, I found myself as I read these words, I'm like, whoa, amazing, right? I want to be just like this guy. And then I go, ah, but I'm not. So how do I reconcile this? How do I take what Paul is writing to the Philippians here today and make it applicable to us in 2022, in our lives today? Here's a few things that I noticed that I think are important for us to recognize. Number one, Paul is emphasizing to the church that it is faith in Christ that includes us in the family of God. When you read most of his letters, he's talking about uh, he's talking to these churches and warning them of these outside groups who are uh, coming against the church, the Greek church, as it were, the Gentile church, the non-Hebrew church. He's coming against them, saying, "If you want to be a true Christian." And that when, he, when I mean true, I mean like, you know, true trademark, you know, registered trademark sort of little thing. You want to be a real Christian. Here's what you have to do. So Paul is writing to these, these people and encouraging them in the face of this religious movement that's pressuring the Greek Gentile Christians to become Jews first. See, the idea was uh, that there are these uh, Hebrew Christians that were like, well, obviously Jesus was Jewish. He's a Hebrew. 
And so therefore, we all must become Hebrews also. So the Jewish church are like, okay, Gentiles, cool. You want to be with us in our club? We totally get that. We want you to be with us as well. So here's what you have to do. All right, guys, man up. It's circumcision time. This is what has to happen. This is what, if you want to be what part of the Jesus crew, you got to go through the initiation just like we did. Now, we were babies, so we got in. It's cool. You just have to suffer a little bit longer. That's what they were wanting them to do. And Paul calls them out. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. He even goes far as to say he calls them mutilators of the flesh. That's pretty harsh. You wouldn't get away with that on Twitter today, or you could, but you get banned or something along those lines. But Paul is telling the, the, the Gentile church, he's like, listen, you don't have to go down that route to be a Jesus follower. You don't have, if you've trusted in Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone, you don't have to do these extra things. Notice it in verse 12, Jesus, or Paul says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's telling them, he says, listen, just because you grew up in this, or you didn't grow up in that culture doesn't mean you have to assimilate that culture to be a Christian. Paul goes on to say that it's so it's by faith in Jesus alone. The idea of faith is this allegiance, this trust, this loyalty in what Jesus has done for the whole world. It means then that everybody who puts their faith in Christ, whether or not they grew up Hebrew or not, are God's kids, are God's children. And there's no need to do anything extra according to any Jewish mandate. That's a big deal. Because we have this great and rich history of, of, uh, of Jesus' own Jewishness. We have all of the Old Testament and, and the uh, covenants of, of God with these people. And we have all of this great stuff that is there. But Paul is saying, listen, at the core of it all is not you being Hebrew. It is you trusting in what Jesus has done for you through his death and his resurrection. It's important to recognize, though, that this is not an indictment of the law or Jewish tradition, or, or setting, but it is a setting of the proper foundation, which is a holistic trust in God through Christ, which is actually a Jewish thing. This morning I was reading in uh, Exodus as part of my you know, devotions, and it if you notice the entire uh, thing of you know Moses stepping onto the scene and going and through all of these you know signs and miracles and weird stuff that happens and parting the Red Sea, all of that is an act of faith. Moses had to trust God. The Hebrews had to trust Moses, who was trusting God. All of it was by faith. They didn't do anything except for walk in faith across the Red Sea. They didn't do anything except for pick up manna every day and and chickens that were running around. They all by faith. They trusted in God alone. So really, all of this biblical faith stuff is, actually has its roots in Judaism. But Paul is saying, you don't have to become a Jew to be a Christian. He says, if that were true, then I would be the super Christian, he goes on to say. He shares his own story and his, how his accolades should have made him the poster boy for God's family. Here's Paul. He is the Hebrew of Hebrews. He calls himself that, which is fantastic. He says, if I have any more um, confidence in the flesh, it should be me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a people of Israel. I am part of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I've got this faithfulness to the law. I've got the circumcision. I've got the right parents. I've got who followed God in the right way. I've got the right lineage. I've got the right heritage. I've got the right nation. I should be it. 
People should think, what does a Christian look like? Paul's like, it should be me. That's what it should look like if we're following in sort of the traditional, you know, outward ways of looking at things. He says, not only that, not only do I have all of the national heritage, national heritage and all that stuff, I have the best schooling. I went to the Harvard of Jewishness, okay? I went to the, I was educated under the best rabbi, the one who was the most popular of the day. I was under him. And so I learned everything from, I should be up there. Check that box. Not only that, he says, I have this rigorous adherence to the Torah. I am a Pharisee, which means that I am like the pro. I am at the NFL level of religiosity. I know how to obey the law perfectly, and y'all ain't got nothing on me. That is how he views himself. I am the pro. As if that wasn't even more amazing. He says, I'm zealous to God, for God. And when we talk about being zealous for God, we're not just like, oh, I like to you know, stand on a street corner with a, with a sandwich board sign saying the end is near or handing out tracts. He's not just that. He's like, I am go so far that I persecute all of the people that are practicing anything other than uh, the Hebrew religion. To the point of seeing Christians persecuted. To the point of seeing Christians murdered. He even justifies all that he does because he knows that he's doing right for God. Violence justified the sake or for the sake of pleasing God. So really, Paul stands as the pillar, as the paragon, as the poster boy of what it means. And yet, because of what Christ did for him, knocked him off his high horse, if you remember the story in Acts, he recognizes that all of that was futile. Yes, education is good. Yes, having, uh, growing up in a rich uh, Hebrew tradition is good. Yes, having this zeal for God is, can be good. But in light of God's faithfulness and his nobility, Paul is undone. And he says, all of these things that I have compared to knowing Christ, who has made me his own, just seems kind of has lost its luster. He says, everything that I gained from all of that good stuff seems like trash now compared to knowing this God who, for so, uh, who loved me so much. Paul says that all that I had gained just doesn't seem like it adds up anymore. And yet God has made me his own. And he has said all these things are not useful in obtaining salvation. Only faith in Christ is. So Paul's telling the story to them because he wants them to be aware that they don't have to be Hebrews like he was. They just have to have faith in Christ. And then he, he goes on to encourage them. He says, in light, in a sense, of God's faithfulness and nobility, he encourages the church to press on, to worship God, to know Jesus, to live by the Spirit. I love what he says early on. It says that we are the circumcision. We are part of the covenant or covenant family of God. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. When he's telling the church there, he says, listen, Yes, there's this great Hebrew foundation, and we should acknowledge it. But it doesn't come, salvation doesn't come by all that. It comes by faith in God alone, uh, through Christ alone. So keep on keeping on. Do what you do. Don't let the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew uh, circumcision party try to influence how you do worship in your congregation. Don't let them try to dictate to you the right way of doing things. 
He says, press on. Keep going. Worship as you do. Let the Philippian way of doing things be the Philippian way you do things. Let that culture and let that color and influence and, and, and uh, uh, ways of, of worshiping God be your own. It's okay. It's good. What does it mean for us, though? Clearly, we're not in, the, the, we're not in Philippi. We're not in ancient Rome. We're not in that time frame. So how does that translate to you and I here in 2022? Well, I think most importantly, I think we need to recognize that our inclusion to God's family is his work alone. By grace alone, accepted by faith alone. And most of us get that. Most of us understand that. I think there's something else that I was thinking about this morning that while we all, accept in this room, we, we trusted Christ by faith alone, and that makes us a church together. We are also part of the greater church as a whole. I think where the Hebrew uh, circumcision party probably got it wrong is they decided that all we have the right way of doing things. And therefore, if you want to be the right way of doing things, you have to do it our way. But Paul tells us that that's, nothing extra is required. To be a member of the church universal, we don't have to prove or earn our inclusion by external means. The church has always struggled with this since its inception. We always have this period of our way is the right way. I mean, how many denominations have you been a part of or churches you've been a part of that said, if you only did it our way, it would be amazing. You could be a true Christian, a real Christian. If you go way back to the, 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 uh, the Great Schism, okay, this is where there's the church in Rome and there's the church in Constantinople. And both of them kind of were like, we do it right. This is where the, the head of the church is. And this church goes, no, we do it right. This is where the church is. And they're like, nah. And instead of recognizing the core of what it means to be a Christian, they're like, we're cutting it off. So now you have the Greek Orthodox and the, the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's over on this side. And now you have the Roman Catholic Church or the Roman Church on this side. So now you have two churches that hate each other because they both insist that their way was the right way. Whew. Gee, I'm glad that's done, right? Okay, now we're good for a while. Then comes the Reformation. Now you have Martin Luther and his 99 theses. He's got, I got 99 problems uh, on the wall. And now, and, the, and then the church is like, oh, you did it. You're, we're kicking you out. And he's like, well, forget you. I'm out of here too. And then John Calvin rises up and Zwingli and all these other guys were like, we hate this too. You all are doing it wrong. And now we have the Roman church. We have the Eastern Orthodox Church, and now we have the Lutherans and the Calvinists, and we have the, refer the, the just on down the line. And now, if you go just that way a little bit, or that way a little bit, you have the Baptists, the Reformed, the Efree, the Lutherans, the Anglicans, the Episcopalians, the Assemblies of God, the Assemblies of God, super awesome Holy Spirit power church with the twist and the dancing and the weird speaking tongues thing. And then you all have, it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And they all say we do it right. And they all say if you want to be a true Christian, you got to do it our way. But Paul is telling the church that at the core of it all is that Jesus died for all of us to forgive us of our sins according to the scriptures and be raised to new life that we all might be reborn in his children and participate in the renewing of the world by his power and his grace. None of us, no matter what denomination we are a part of or what faction of 
Christendom we are a part of has it down correctly. And we're not meant to. The one thing we ought to hold to as the core, as the, as the, uh, uh, the center of our universe is that Jesus died for sinners. And by his love, we are healed and made new. What matters to the Philippian church and what matters to us today is that it's the how matters less than the why or the what. The means and the method by which we worship, whether we worship in a liturgical setting with great pomp and circumstance or we meet in a basement and we sing songs off of a television screen. Whether you have a guy in vestments and high holy robes or you have a guy in, in a, a, a thrift store Patagonia shirt uh, and some hoka shoes, you know, it, it, it matters less the what or the how, but the Why? Jesus plus anything else misses the entirety of the gospel. And the neat thing about this is that this actually, when we boil it down to brass tacks, makes me a brother of my Eastern Orthodox priests and adherents. It makes me a brother of my Catholic tradition that I came from. It makes me a family with the Baptists and the Reformed and the Calvinists and the Assemblies of God. These are no longer my, my enemies. These are my friends and my family and whom I share the core of belief. I'm not talking about, you know, well, let's just get rid of all of our, uh, our nuances of our faith. No, rather what we say is that at the, at the end of it all, we are friends and family. We are one body. So there's that. There's nothing extra required. But secondly, his love, Jesus' love, will slowly and surely transform you and I into the kind of people who want to deepen their knowledge of God in relationship. Some of our journeys that we have are a little slower than others, and that's totally fine because there's no speed limit, either too fast or too slow. God is, God is capable of growing us in whatever way he chooses. For Paul, it was radical. When I read Paul's words here, uh, his dedication and his zeal for knowing Jesus is amazing. But it's disheartening at the same time because I know that it's not me. When I look at his life, he's like, for the sake of all this amazing stuff, I consider it all trash now. And I go, yeah, Paul. And then I go, I suck. When I look at his declarations of all his accolades and his trash compared to knowing Jesus, I applaud them. But then we also slink back because our own devotion sometimes is found wanting and we go oh but compared to paul i'm nothing and he's like no 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 that's not what i'm trying to do here paul's journey with jesus was his own and ours may not look like it in fact it probably doesn't we all don't travel the straight road that he kind of he traveled he went from hebrew person or hebrew pharisee guy persecuting the church to like the the man wrote half the New Testament. God's grace and love and slow work transforms you individually as, as God does. His plan for you and the way he works in you is his own for you. And we really ought not to compare our journeys with one another. Rather, we should have a lot more patience with one another where we are and how we are progressing in our knowledge and our depth of love for Jesus. But it's also a work of participation as well. His spirit in us moves us to gain knowledge of him and then deepen our understanding of him. And this changes our loves from ourselves to him. But it is a slow work. 
And let's not compare on one another where we are, but rather let us have grace and patience and acceptance. I love how it says that when the body hurts, all parts, when one part hurts, the whole hurts. Like when you stub your toe, everything hurts all over. In the same way, we ought to have to be patient with one another where we are. If one of us looks like, oh, we're not, that person's definitely not following God, just back off and know that they're, they're in something and God's working with them on it. Be patient. The last thing I think Paul wants us to know from the scripture is that we're not alone. And I didn't read this passage, but it says right nearly at the very end in verse 17, brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We're not an island. It is not Jesus and me, Lone Ranger Christianity. We are not meant to be in uh, a faith relationship with God that is just me and God alone. It doesn't work. In fact, when we do that, we tend to go off on some really weird tangents or we tend to fade off completely. We are a Western people who have this hyper-individualized mindset. I alone can do it. I don't need anybody else. It's just a lie. We were not built and created for individualism. We were built and created for community. We were meant to be with one another in our journey with God. Look, Adam wasn't good enough to, to have just Adam. God's like, you need a helper. Clearly, you need a helper. As husbands, we know this is true. We need a helper. So he created Eve to be his helpmate, to come his equal, to be the one who comes alongside and helps get this thing together so they have this community together. We're meant to be in that kind of community, to learn how to do life through the examples of living, of the living, and of those who have gone on. But we must learn how to do this new way of being human with each other. We must learn to follow the examples and patterns of mature believers as they have or have uh, pre- or that are currently presently following Jesus or who already have, and we get to read about them in books. So, what's our response? Just three things. Number one, turn away from the lie that you're not doing it right. Let me give you an example. I'll be brief. For about five years, I've wanted to be one of those mystical Christians. No, I'm not like grow a beard and sit in a cave somewhere. That's not what I mean. But my good friend Kevin introduced me to sort of the, the mystical uh, uh, part of, of Christianity, of being able to commune with God in ways that are like, whoa, I just totally met with God and, and I feel all the tingles and I, I just, man, I've seen things. It's cool. I wanted to be one of those Christians who was super in touch with God at all times. So I read all the books. I did all the exercises. I've, I've cultivated that silence and solitude and have regularly sought God's tangible presence. And you know what happened? Not much. Now, did I do something wrong? Probably not. But most likely what's happened is that it's just not my jam. I think we all have a spiritual... Uh, a chord in our souls that when you feel it, you know it's right. It just, it, it gels with you and other stuff just doesn't work. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like classical music. Some people are like, best music ever and I'm like, okay, maybe if I want to fall asleep. Now it's great stuff, but it's just not for me. Rock and roll, I'm down, I'm in. The truth is, is that Christian mysticism is just not my path. It's not my temperament. It's not how I encounter God the best. 
There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I'll probably continue to use some of those things that I learned. It's just not me. And this, it may not be you either. What I'm saying is that God meets me best in the ways that are unique to my personality and my prayers and my worship and my intake of his word will be done in that manner. However God meets you best, just keep doing that. You don't have to, to become X, Y, and Z. We have this great smorgasbord of Christian history, of great things we can pull and take from and go, I like that. I like this. This didn't work for me. It's totally cool. Just do that. Nobody says it is that. There isn't one right means or way. There's not a method that's any less good than another. And if a teacher or preacher or pastor says that you are doing it wrong and that his way is best, please do me a favor, walk away. If I ever do that, come up and tell me I'm wrong. I'm, I'll be, totally accept that. So let's turn away. Turn away from the idea that, that there is one right way to worship God. Secondly, turn to. With that being said, we should be willing to turn to the methods and means that are all of our brothers in Christ and brothers and sisters in Christ uh, participate in. What I mean is that if we're like, in a, if we're in a dry spell and we're like, man, I'm just not feeling God. We have these great examples of other people who have done this with. We can turn to those methods. We can ask these questions like, how does God meet me best? And then just grow into those things. Some people meet God the best when they go outside. The other day I realized this, I started running again. And instead of uh, spending the hour um, uh, inside, you know, in silence and solitude, which never really turns out that way because the cat box is right next to where I sit. And there's nothing worse than being in the middle of prayer and, and then hearing the cat go to the bathroom. It's terrible. However, I put my running shoes on and I go outside and I see the early morning stars. And suddenly it's as if the heavens open and I'm communing with God as I'm, you know, as my heart beats at 135 <laughs> beats per minute and I'm panting and, and, and struggling up the hills. But yet in that moment, I commune with God. How do you do it? I don't know. But turn to those ways and stick with it. In all cases, we should at least structure our lives with God along the lines of worship and prayer, intake of scripture, community and service. And just because there's not one right way, let's not abandon all the ways. But lastly, so we turn away, we turn to and we journey with. Our walks with God must not be solo missions, but ones that are best expressed in communion, communion with one another, in community with one another. We meet on Sunday morning, not just because it's a, a thing we ought to do, or we like donuts, but simply because we encourage one another in our faith. We lift one another up in prayer. We take together the body and blood of Christ. We do all of these things together because that is how we, experience, we on the whole, experience God uh, together. Our worship is best expressed in community because it reflects the unity of God's body in the church. Our prayers are effective when we do it together. You see my point. Paul challenges them to imitate him as he follows Jesus. And in a very real way, when you listen to my preaching or you listen to another person's prayer request or you worship together in song, we are all copying one another as we are imitating one another as we all follow Jesus. So, your mission Here's what I'd say. Um, I do, if you are interested, I have a list of, of kind of 12 ways that um, people generally experience God uh, in devotion. If you would like a list of those, I can, uh, I'll find them and I'll send them to you. And pick one. 
Let us all strive together and press on and keep on with our faith and find ways that we can commune with God best. And then share those experiences with one another. Maybe next week you can go, I'm able to ask the question, how did you experience God this week? And you can, t- you can share it. Not so that we can go, oh, well, clearly Betty has it correctly. Uh, we should all do what Betty's doing. No, no, no. So that we can learn that God meets Betty in that space in the same way that God meets me in my space. Yeah. Let's take a few moments and, and, uh, and recenter our hearts as we prepare to receive um, the meal that is set before us this morning.